Well, today we're going to um, talk about communion. And I, I would like sort of over the next um, couple of months to bring maybe a total of three sermons on the subject of communion. There's way too much to cover in one message. But it's important that we, we look at this, we study the subject of communion. So over the next three sermons, I want to try to deal with the, the subject of communion. And um, I am not going to um, get into everything there is to know uh, about what's, what every other church is doing. <clears throat> There's so many variants and, and different things that churches are doing. Some churches, they celebrate communion, they have communion every, every week, some every month, some every year. And some just at odd times, whenever. They could do it once every six months or once every two years or just whatever, however they feel. Here at our church, we celebrate the table of the Lord once a month. That's what we've done forever. There's all kinds of different methods of, of uh, administering uh, communion. How many here were uh, raised Catholic? Raise your hand if you know something about Catholicism, okay? Then typically, uh, now it's not always this way. The Catholic Church has been changing in various parts of the world. You go to different parts of the world and the way that they would administer their mass, which is not really communion. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a future sermon, but mass is not communion. It's a re-crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ is what it is. In the Catholic churches, Jesus is still nailed to the cross. But in our church, the cross is empty. Why is the cross empty? He is risen. He's not on a cross anymore. But our dear Catholic friends still have Jesus nailed to the cross. And uh, during the Mass, they, uh, they have certain Latin incantations and so on. But typically, the way it's, it's, it's been historically is... The, uh, the, the bread is given to the people and the wine is given to the priest. Typically. Now that, that isn't always, always that way, but it's typically the way that they, they do that. There's another uh, method that some churches use. It's called the intinction method. Intinction. I-N-T-I-N-C. T-I-O-N. Intinction method. Where they take a piece of bread and they dip it in the juice and now they got both at once and they pop that in their mouth. That's the intinction method, where they combine the two into one. Uh, there's the Anglican method, where people uh, come up and kneel at the front, and then the, uh, the Anglican uh, priest or minister will give them the bread, and then will take the chalice, which is a fancy name for a cup, and a rag, and he gives a little drink to one, and wipes the rim, and gives another drink to another, and wipes the rim, and gives another drink to another, that was the denomination I was raised in. And so that was what I was taught about uh, uh, the communion service when I was a boy. And then there are churches that reject communion totally, altogether. They have nothing to do with it. One is the Salvation Army. They have nothing to do with it. And um, another one is the Quakers. If you've ever heard of the Quakers, they have nothing to do with uh, communion. They reject it completely. And then you get also some other extremes where instead of using grape juice, they'll use Coca-Cola or soda pop. And instead of using these um, 
uh, unleavened, uh, unleavened bread with, with no uh, yeast or leaven or rising agent in it, flat, flat, flat bread. Instead of using that, they'll use Ritz crackers or sometimes they'll use little cookies or something like that. And boy, you know, I wouldn't want to go messing around with uh, the Lord's table like that. To me, that is dangerous, dangerous. You don't go messing around with um, that sort of thing and not have to answer to God for it. But uh, we do want to take a look today and we want to start and see what the Bible has to say about communion. It'll be a good, a good exercise for us all. Maybe some of us will learn something. Maybe it'll be some reconfirmation of uh, some truths to others. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this, the table of the Lord. Please, Lord, teach us something more about it today. There may be those today that uh, will be hearing this for the very first time. There may be others that have heard these truths over the years. Either way, Lord, bless it to our hearts. It's all good. And help us to love you more. Bottom line, Lord, help us to love you more, to serve you and worship you more to be more obedient than ever before. Bless us to this end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it goes by different names. Uh, the name that we typically use is communion. And uh, the word communion is made up of actually two words. The uh, union part and the prefix com. That's a Latin prefix and it means all together. And so this in unisons, all together in unisons, this is the idea of communion, but it's centered around a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of our communion. It's like we're having fellowship and we're all around Jesus. Our eyes are on Jesus. And that's the essence of the communion service. There are, are churches that teach that you get to heaven this way. That this is how you buy your ticket into heaven is by parking your feet under the Lord's table and partaking of the bread and the juice. And that's, you do it enough times and you get to go to heaven. That's not biblical. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not true. That actually is a perversion of the truth because it teaches that Jesus died for nothing. If all you had to do was just have a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice and, and you're fine, you'll get to go to heaven, then why in the world did Jesus suffer on the cross and die and rise again for us? Why? And why do we have a, really a Bible that teaches us that it's by faith that, that we get to heaven? Not by works, lest any man should boast. The thief on the cross, turned one of them, turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked right at him and said, Verily I say unto thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Boy, how would you like Jesus to tell you those words? Wow, that, that, that's very assuring, very comforting. And true enough, that day that man ended up in paradise with Jesus. Did that man have communion? No. Was he ever baptized? No. He never had any of these things. Good as they are, they have their place, but they cannot take the place of salvation. These things can come after salvation. Like church membership is good. It's part of God's plan for us. God knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. And so um, communion was started by our Lord Jesus Christ on the night in which he was betrayed. 
You can find the principal passages in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22. Those are the three chapters in the Gospels that will give you this teaching. I'll repeat them. Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Some churches and some Christians have felt that God doesn't really mind, you know, if we, you know, have communion or not. It's not a real big thing. Um, He's not all that fussy about it. You could take it. You could not take it. It's up to you. It's an option. And that is not the truth. That is not the truth whatsoever. If you look at chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, and you'll notice verse 23, the first verse we read a few moments ago, Paul wrote, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. My point is this. By the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the churches were pretty much established. Souls had been saved. Churches had been had been put together, pastors had been ordained. It was, it was a, a system that was in place, still growing, but very much in place and solid. And yet, our Lord, the head of the church, took the time and trouble to have Paul write this again. And so, it's an old truth, a repeated truth, an important truth. God is interested in His people being part of the communion service. I might ask you, when was the last time that you had a communion service with the Lord? I don't mean at home. I don't mean over at Tim Hortons. I don't mean in front of a TV with some tele-evangelist. I mean in your local church. When we had the trays of the bread and, and the little cups of the grape juice representing his shed blood. And together as a church family, we observed the Lord's table. When was the last time? Well... Maybe it's been a while for some of us. Maybe when the subject of communion comes up, we go out. Why do we do that? Why do we absent ourselves from the table of the Lord? It's called an ordinance. It's a command. And we'll get to that later. But the church was well established here. And the Lord took the trouble to repeat this again for us in in the book of 1 Corinthians. God wants us to uh, partake of the table. Say, why? What reasons? There are several reasons, and I want to give you two or three this morning. The very first reason why you ought to be part of the table of the Lord is that it helps you to remember His death. Otherwise, you forget. So I won't forget, you'll forget. I'll never forget, you will forget. We are forgetful creatures. How many times have you said to yourself, okay, I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to buy one of these, one of those, two of these, and hey, I can remember that, no problem. Off to the store you go, you get back home, and the first thing you know is, uh uh-oh, I can't believe it, I forgot to get two of those. Where was my head? It happens. We uh, get ready, get in the car, go off someplace, and realize, forgot my wallet at home. Our soul winners sometimes forget to wear their soul winners pin. I'm always after them like a mother hen or something. Where's your pin? Where's your pin? And I sing that song, if you wear your pin today. And and some of the soul winners say, oh yeah, I've heard that one, Pastor. Yeah, but uh, hey, as long as I draw breath, I'm going to try and encourage you. Sometimes we forget our pins. That happens. Well, believe it or not, we'll forget about his death. 
You say, how can we? Oh, it's easy. You forget about it every day. That's how I know. You get busy, you go to work, you go to school. You're not thinking about his death. And so the first reason, maybe the primary reason, is to help us remember his death for us. And look at verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's... What? What's that word? Say it, everyone. Death. Ye do show the Lord's death till he come. You know, it really does keep us mindful of the cross on which Jesus died, doesn't it? It really does remind us about what he went through. Now, we don't always try to uh, go in and picture the the graphic scene of of the the cat of nine tails, the scourge ripping the flesh off his body and the brow being pierced with those thorns and, and the fists and the pulling of the beard. But we're aware of it. We know about it. And so when we come to the table of the Lord, we remember the death Christ died. It was a grisly, gruesome death. It could have been just a quick hangman's noose. It, it, it could have even been a quick a few rocks to the head as they stoned him. No, but it had to be this way. God the Father made sure that it was the worst treatment man could ever give. And that was what Jesus tasted of. He tasted death for every one of us, folks. And so, we have the wonderful song, the old rugged cross. Huh? Stained with blood so divine. Hmm? Holds a wondrous attraction for me. Wow. Praise the Lord for great hymns like that. Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. Can you say that today? From your heart, are you able to say that? Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. Some people, they, they can't say that because they don't believe they've sinned. Imagine that. Imagine that. A human being, having lived for any number of years, who doesn't believe that they've done anything wrong? Who doesn't believe they've committed any sin? I'll have you know that it only took one sin to kick our original parents out of the Garden of Eden and to bring death and damnation upon all the human race. It was one sin only. And all it was was an act of disobedience. Our kids do that all the time. Hey, parents, let me ask you a question. You raise your hand or not. Have your kids ever disobeyed? Raise your hand. Brother Adam had his hand up before I finished answering the question, right? And you know where our kids learned that from? From us. From us. They got it from us. We just passed it right along, didn't we? Disobedience is just woven into the fabric of of human life. It only took one sin to get Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. That was it, folks. One. You know, if you ever could lose your salvation, you know how many sins it would take? How many? Say it. One. That's all it would take. That's why He, God, has to hold on to us. That's why when Jesus died for my sins, He died for 99.99% plus 01%. He died for 100%.
because all of my sins were still in the future 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for me. He didn't die for my sins up to a point. He died for all of my sins. If it was up to me to hold on and maintain my own salvation, I couldn't do it. And I'd be a liar to say I could. Only God can save and keep. Amen? Boy, it keeps us remembering the wonderful thing that Jesus did for us when he died for us on Calvary's cross. It also pictures for us the, the love of God. It helps us remember the great love that God has for us. For God so what? Loved the world. You could say me. You could say for God so loved me. You could say that. That he gave his only begotten son. That if I believe on him, that means to really commit myself, lock, stock, and barrel, heart, mind, soul, spirit, everything I got, if I believe on him, I will not perish, but I will have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, God commended. It means he showed forth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you think of this. The person you love the most in the world, think of their, their name or put their face in your mind's eye right now. Maybe the one person or maybe there's two people that you love more than anyone else in the whole world. Just think of them right now. If they were in jeopardy, would you die for them? Would you substitute yourself for them so that they could live? Would you push them out of the way and take the, the brunt of the blow yourself? Would you give your life for your, your greatest loved one? Chances are you'd say yes. Well, all right, let's go down the line a bit. How about someone you know, and you like them, but you don't really love them? Would you give your life for them? Someone that you, that you like, but you don't really, really love, like numero uno in your life, that special person. Would you give your life for them? Would you die for them? All right, let's go down the, the line a bit more. How about someone you don't know? Someone you've never met? Would you throw yourself in front and take the shot so that they could live? A total stranger? Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Would you die? Would you give up your life for a stranger? Someone you've never met? Let's take it one more step. An enemy. Someone who's just made life miserable for you. An enemy, someone who said evil things and told lies about you. An enemy, someone who's hurt you. An enemy, someone who's dragged your name in the mud. Told bad stories to others about you. Purposely to hurt you. An enemy. And they were about to die. Would you jump in between? Take the blow so that they could live? Ooh. Chances are, no way. To be quite honest, some of us might smile if one of our enemies took the blow, bang. But while we were yet sinners, that means enemies to God, Christ died for us. You see his love? Isn't that wonderful, folks? That's why we need the table of the Lord, because it helps us to remember, to remember the, the death Christ died, to, to remember this in fact, in look at verse 26 again. Um, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Ye do show the Lord's death. You know, it's almost like preaching a sermon. The table of the Lord, it's proclaiming 
ye do show the Lord's death. It's proclaiming the death Christ died for us. The Jews, when they came out of Egypt, just before, on the night before they came out of Egypt, God instituted a very special ceremony. What was the name of that ceremony? Passover, right. Because the angel of death was to travel through the land. Remember this? And in the homes in which there was no sacrificial blood, the angel of death would enter and the firstborn would die. The only way to spare the firstborn was to put the sacrificial blood on the doorpost and the lintel there. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the institution of Passover began. And every year, the Jews have observed it. Now that's what, 3,500 years, give or take? It's a long time they've been observing Passover. And they do it to remember. I think that Passover also pictured the coming of our Lord Jesus. And that in Him, He is our Passover. So that death doesn't find us. When we are in Jesus, death passes over. Otherwise, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And I'm not talking physical death. I'm talking spiritual death, being separated from God. Because that's what death means. When we die physically, our soul separates from our body. And the body is just dead. The soul now lives on forever. But spiritual death, the soul separates from God. And the soul has to be somewhere, and there's only one of two places that the soul can be after death, and that's heaven above or hell below. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's right. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right. It's a gift. It's not something that you buy. Communion keeps us mindful, keeps us remembering the cross and our deliverance from sin. Number two, something else about the cross. Something else about communion, I should say, is that it keeps us humble. And this makes perfect sense when we understand the death Christ died, the extent that Jesus went to for us. We realize that Jesus paid it all. We understand that, hey, it's not Jesus plus my works. Well, Jesus, you did a good job. You took it this far. Now it's up to me to, to finish the job. What a fool. Only a fool would say that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. What's the rest? Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. How can you boast in that? How can you boast in, in, let's say, the Mona Lisa? Can anyone here boast in the Mona Lisa? Can you say that you've had a hand in painting the Mona Lisa? Or building the Eiffel Tower? Can anyone here boast that they've built the Eiffel Tower? No one here. No one here can boast in what Jesus did. My, oh my, what a wonderful Savior. Hallelujah. We realize that we could be in hell today. We could be in hell today if it weren't for the unmerited kindness of our wonderful God. He didn't have to die for us. 
He didn't have to even come to earth for us. He doesn't have to save us. God doesn't want you and I to take this for granted. If you're here today and you're born again, you're saved. Oh man, you got a gift. Hallelujah. You've been given a marvelous, wonderful gift. Praise the Lord. It's yours. He's not going to take it away. Some people think he'll take it away from you. Oh, you better be good now or I'll take away your salvation. That's not God. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said that he that believeth in me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. You will not be condemned. Oh, does that mean I can run out and sin? Go ahead and try it. You'll notice you've got a heavenly father that'll spank you good. The wheels will pop off your chariot, bud. Things will start going pow and kabooey when they shouldn't. You'll have one problem mounted on top of another problem until you get right with God. And if you still don't get right with God, he has the power to take you home early, to snuff you out. Take you home so that you stop bringing shame. No, if you're saved, you're his child and he takes a fatherly interest in you and he will do whatever is necessary to help you to live right. It's so much nicer to live for Jesus. It's so much easier. It's so much more pleasant. It keeps us humble when we realize, wow. Now the church at Corinth, they held these uh, feasts together. They had some good things going for them, but they had a lot of problems too. And they held uh, like a potluck is what they would do. And they called it kind of a love feast. And in chapter 11, verse 17, Paul writes, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Uh -oh. Indeed, there were problems. They combined the communion service with a love feast. And some were getting there early and eating themselves all up. And others could only get there late and there was nothing left for them. They didn't care one for another. There was a lot of sin in the church. There were a lot of unsaved people that were in there. They had a religiosity about them, but they weren't saved. And they were taking part in the communion service. And so this is not good. Look at verse 27. Paul wrote, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. That means in an unsaved state. Something that's unworthy has no worth. If it has no worth, you throw it out. You go to the store and you... You buy a, a jug of milk or a loaf of bread and you bring it home and you drink the milk and there's the milk container. So, being a good Canadian, you recycle. So, out it goes into the, the bin for recycling. You eat all the bread out of your loaf of bread and you've got this empty plastic bag. Well, out it goes. And we throw out a lot of trash, don't we? Every week. We throw out a lot of trash. If you've got a growing family, you throw out a lot of trash. There's a lot of stuff that's worthless. Out it goes. And to eat and drink at the table of the Lord unworthily means you're not saved. Christ is not in you. God looks upon you and there's nothing worthy there. There's nothing worthy. There's hell deserving. There's damnation deserving. But there's no heaven deserving. There's nothing worthy. Whosoever 
shall uh, eat of this bread and drink of this cup unworthily. The cup of the Lord unworthily. Look at this. Shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Wow. Very next verse. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. Verse 28. But let a man examine himself. If you were to go to 2 Corinthians 13, Paul uses the same words. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Make sure you're saved. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh. What's that next word? Say it out loud. Damnation to himself. Damnation is a strong word. God does not damn his children. He damns the devil's children. There's two fathers, spiritual fathers, if you will. There's God and the devil. You're either saved and God is your father, or you're lost and the devil is your father. It's one of the two. And you can't have both. You have one or the other. And so he that eateth and drinketh unworthily in an unsaved condition, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He's got no ability to discern. He can't say, well, these are saved people, part of God's holy family. I'm not part of God's holy family. He doesn't see it that way. He doesn't discern. All he says is, oh, just a bunch of people. Just a bunch of people under one roof. That's all he or she sees. They don't realize the difference between saved and lost. They're unworthy. They're not saved. They're partaking. (gasps) Big no-no. They're eating and drinking damnation to themselves. Does that mean that they'll fall over, flop over dead in the pew right away? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when they do go to hell, there's greater damnation upon them. Very important that we know what we're talking about here. The Lord's body, the local church. Very important. If you look at chapter 12, I'll show you an interesting verse. In verse 27. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and in chapter 12 and verse 27, look what he says. In fact, read it out loud together with me, please. Verse 27, read it out of your Bibles. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So there's a body and there's members. A body would be the whole thing. Members would be like an arm and a leg, a finger and a toe. Those are members of the body. And Paul didn't say, we are the body, including himself. Then you'd have a universal church. He said, ye are the body. A local church. That's what the body is. Local. That's what it is. Just like a family is local. I know we say the family of man all over the world. The family of human beings. And you can say that if you want. But it's not the same as a local family, a mom and a dad and a couple of, of kids and a dog and a goldfish. That's, a, that's a, a family, a local family. And God is for family. And that's what a local church is. It's a body. It's like a family, but it's a body. Christ is our head. We are the members in particular. We're supposed to be, supposed to be active in doing things too, by the way. That's important. Not discerning the Lord's body. Some unsaved people, they don't even get it. They don't see that they're not saved, that they're outside of the body. You know, the body has an equality to it. The arm, the arm is different from the leg. But where would you be without your arm? 
or in that matter, without your leg. You'd have a tough time in life, wouldn't you? Now, there are people that walk, walk through life without an arm. Some have to limp or hobble without a leg. There are people that are missing body parts they wish they had. I'm missing a couple of teeth. I wish I had those back. Boy, whenever I eat peanuts, I sure, I sure notice something missing. I wish I had all my teeth. Someone says, I wish I had all my brains. That's for another sermon. But the body is made up of all these parts, but the point is that they're kind of equal. You need them all. And I know the toe is different from the finger. I know that. But you need your toes. They tell us that without your toes, you couldn't maintain your balance. You couldn't really walk. You have to have your toes. You know, historically, when one nation would conquer another, they would take all of the young men that could be like army, like the enemy, and they would cut off their right toes. It wouldn't kill them. They'd heal. But because they had no great toe. I, I, did I say right toe? Yeah. The, both the big toe is what I meant to say. I should have said. The, the, the large, the great toe. They would cut them off of each foot. So that the guy could never stand on the, the battlefield. He could never, you know, be a threatening presence against the, the, conquer, the conquering king. And they would also cut off their thumbs. Now that wouldn't kill them. It wouldn't stop them from working. But it would stop them from holding a sword. They'd cut off their thumbs and cut off their great toes. You need those little guys. Boy, oh boy, you need them. The way God has made us, we got all of the necessary parts. Praise the Lord, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But in the church, we're all equal. You see that? Oh, well, he's a deacon, he's a pastor, he's a Sunday school teacher, and I'm not. I'm just so much lower. No, you're not. You're so much equal. We are equal. We have different jobs to do, but in the eyes of our, our, our Heavenly Father and our Savior, we're equal. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's equality. And that's very important that we understand that. Men and women in Christ are equal. Rich and poor in Christ are equal. The, the, listen to this. Even the spiritual and the backslider are still equal. Now one is going to miss out on blessings, but they're still equal. They're still members of God's family. Adults and children in Christ are still equal. Wow. We better not break that equality, folks. That's very important. So uh, let's move on here quickly. Um, having the Lord's table, the communion service, keeps us remembering what Jesus did for us. It keeps us humble, realizing that we've got nothing to boast in. But number three, and that is, it keeps us looking forward. We're looking forward. Now you're in chapter 11. Look at verse 26. I want you to read the verse out loud with me again. Verse 26. Get your Bible. Here we go. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. That's prophecy. Looking forward to the coming of our Savior. Once a month we have the table of the Lord. We have communion service. And I always think this could be the last one. Because he could come before the next month you know, comes. It, it, he could come. 
This could be our last communion service here today. We have everything all ready. And for those who wish to partake, we're going to uh, uh, have a, our invitation, our offering. We're going to have a, a hymn. During that hymn, anyone who needs to leave or wants to leave may. But then anyone who wants to stay and partake is welcome too. And we make that available. Now, by the way, I, I should say this. Uh, we don't police the table of the Lord. Some churches do, and God bless them. Some churches make communion only available to the members, and even then, members in good standing. Some churches even go as far as to look into your financial records if you're tithing or not. And if you're not tithing, you can't have communion. I mean, some churches really go, you know, take this thing. And we don't go that far. We don't take it that far. We do put out the warning. You need to be saved and you need to be living for Jesus. And then it's between you and God. If you're not saved, oh, oh, this stuff will kill you. If you are saved but you're not living for Jesus, oh, oh, watch out. God will judge you and bring chastening into your life. Not damnation, but chastening. That puts the onus on every one of us now, doesn't it? But we do this and we look forward to his coming. And I hope, I hope, I hope with all my heart that every Christian here, every man, woman who knows Christ is looking forward to his coming. He could come today. He might come on Monday. I want to be ready. I hope every one of us has that in our heart and mind. He could come today. We do show the Lord's death till he come. You know, in the years of my ministry, which is now going on 40 years, it'll soon be 40 years I've been in ministry, I've had to leave my wife a number of times in order to go to some conference, to go away for a day or a week or something. And what I really like, what I really appreciate, is knowing she's looking for my return. Boy, that makes me feel good. If it happened that I came home and opened the door and I got my bags in my hand, oh honey, I'm home. And she's uh, busy doing this and busy doing that and says, oh yeah, 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 I know. And goes back to what she's doing. You know, it kind of makes me feel like a defeated foe or something. I don't feel, you know, like a returning victorious conqueror or something. Your lover is home. I know I don't look much like a lover. But uh, hey, as long as one woman in this world thinks I'm I'm her lover, that I'm happy. And the good news is she does. Well, you say, how do you know? That's none of your business. <laughs> I'm so happy to come home and there's my wife waiting for me sometimes, you know, runs into my arms. That makes me feel so wonderful. How do you think it's going to make Jesus feel when he comes and those of us that are looking for his coming like rush into his arms, so to speak, is that, am I talking about someone here today? Is that you I'm talking about? Are you looking for his coming? Are you ready for Jesus coming? Because you see, that's what the communion service also pictures. It's prophetic and it looks forward and it's exciting. I think. I think the Lord wants us to think about him. I think the Lord doesn't want us to forget. And that's why we've got the table of the Lord. As a church, we've done it once a month and it seems to work well for us. I wonder if you are where you ought to be today. I wonder if you've been walking with the Lord. Last month, we had a communion service, and I asked you, would you make a covenant with the Lord? 
that for the next 30 days or months until we meet again at the table, would you live for Jesus? Have you kept that covenant? How consistent has your Christian walk been the last 30 days? Do you think you need to spend any time with Jesus before we partake? Do you think you need to spend a few minutes with the Lord and say, Lord, I need to confess something. Is it possible that your heart has been a little bit cool? You've let slip your Bible reading in your prayer time. Is it possible that you've, you've let your little candle, this little light of mine, you've let the, the light go out or almost go out. You don't tell anyone you're a Christian. You don't give away gospel tracts. You don't invite people to church. You don't take the gospel to anyone. You hide your light under a bushel. You remember what the song says? Hide it under a bushel. That's the weakest no I've ever heard in my life. Hide it under a bushel. Better. I'm going to let it shine. Do you need to spend a minute with the Lord today and ask the Lord, search my heart and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, show me. I'll confess whatever is not right with you. Maybe that would be a good thing to do. I'll tell you what. Let's stand to our feet for a word of prayer. You've been very, very patient. And I appreciate that. We want to have a, a minute of an invitation. And I want to give everyone an opportunity on the invitation to prepare their heart for the table of the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Everyone close their eyes. It's a time where we want to be very serious and put away all, all joking and all frivolous thoughts. Start thinking about the Lord and our relationship with Him. Our union, our communion with Him. This would be a wonderful opportunity to ask the Lord to cleanse your heart.